All right, all right, all right. How's everybody doing this morning? Good, good. Well, my name's Jake. I'm the student pastor here at Journey, if you didn't know, and, uh, and I'm going to be bringing you the message this morning. I'm really excited about it. Um, I'm especially excited this morning because uh, there's been a running poll amongst people over the past few weeks. When I got up here and talked, they said, that boy ain't from around here. So there's been, like, some people think maybe Mississippi, it's Alabama, it's southeastern Alabama, and I just so happen to be an Auburn fan, so I'm riding a high this morning. I'm feeling pretty good. So uh, we're going we're gonna to dive into the message today. If you don't know, over the past few weeks, we've been covering the life of a guy named David. Uh, King David is a very influential character in the Bible. Perhaps outside of Jesus, he may even be the most known person in the Bible that people just know off the top of their head. And so we've been taking different aspects of David's life that we're going to examine. And, uh, and I drew, or I ended up with, a life of solitude that David has. A life of solitude. They had to get the youth pastor to do a life of solitude, because just at the thought of that, that just sounds boring, doesn't it? A life of solitude. Somebody has to spice that up. Well, stick with me today, and I think you'll see it through a little different, little different lens. Before we get started... Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer real quick, okay? Heavenly Father God, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for your word, that when we can come together, we can open your word, we can speak your word, and that your word has power, your word has life, God. God, I pray that as I give this message this morning, that you just move me out of the way, God. I pray that these hearts would just hear your word, hear your spirit, speak through your word, and, uh, and that you would give us something this morning, something very special, something that we can take home with us, something to apply to our lives, God. We ask it all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. So the message today is going to kind of be based off of and working through a psalm. Uh, we'd like to take a psalm out of the life of David. He wrote several of those psalms, which may be controversial about my sermon, is we don't know if David wrote this psalm that I'm using, but there's a 50-50 chance he did. Uh, it, could, it could be him. A lot of people think it might be Solomon, his son, as well. So it kind of has a proverbish feel to it. But we're going to start out. Uh, I didn't get very far in the psalms. I stopped right on Psalm 1. Verses 1 through 4, I'm going to read them. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but know they're like chaff that the wind drives away. So, when you think of solitude, you probably think of oneness or aloneness or uh, alone time, maybe even loneliness, getting away. But the solitude that we're going to examine out of the life of David is a little different. It is an intentional time that he meets with God in order to strengthen his relationship with God, to focus on God, to pray, to meditate, as the psalm says. So just that whole conversation of solitude is a little awkward, isn't it? It is. We live in a culture that is now more connected than ever, okay? We have social media, we have group text, we have FaceTime, okay? Is anybody FaceTime in here? My wife does nothing but FaceTime, okay? So back in the good old days, you could have the, the advantage of actually not looking a 10, you know, when you're talking to somebody on the phone, or if I'm standing in the donut line because I don't want my wife to know I'm eating donuts, you know, I could do that. I could talk to her. She wouldn't know. Now she has to FaceTime me every single time. So I got to be looking fresh all day, okay? I got to, you know, and I got to be ready to answer that FaceTime. If I don't answer that FaceTime, Jake, what are you doing? What are you doing that you don't want me to see? Why aren't you answering that FaceTime? FaceTime is crazy. Uh, so we got FaceTimes. We take our cell phones in the bedroom with us. 
which is probably not a good habit, but we do. I've even been in a restaurant before that had flat screen TVs in the bathroom. Y'all ever been in those? It's like, we want you to be so connected that we don't want you to miss a minute, even if nature calls. You've got you to gotta catch it all. So how much of our lives are spent looking at a screen? Well, if you, uh, if you have a smartphone and you work a job at a desk and you watch at least two hours a day, then your average screen time for your day should be somewhere around 12 hours. Really, 12 hours. Uh, I got four little kids, okay? I got four little kids, six and under. And we go to the pediatrician, and every time we go to the pediatrician, they say, now remember, keep your children watching an hour of TV a day or less. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? How many really follow that rule, by the way? Okay, maybe if you have one kid, maybe you might have a leg to stand on in that conversation. I doubt it even with one kid. Okay, when the fourth one came along, we started prevent defense. You know what I'm saying? So sometimes we go home and we just put the Paw Patrol on repeat, and we pray that when they fall asleep on the floor that they're still breathing, you know? Like, <laughs> a conversation that we really had, okay? Because sometimes on the weekends, I know I'm, I'm putting in my vote for dad of the year here, Sometimes on the weekends, we just let the kids watch TV till they drop, you know what I'm saying? So we'll be laying in the bed, and Brittany will nudge me. She'll say, Jake, just go through the house and make sure they're all still alive, okay? I'm like, all right, that is a conversation that we really, really have. So, in all honesty, though, finding a time of solitude is really difficult. It's really difficult in anybody's life, probably difficult in King David's, but in our time, in our life, I think it is especially difficult to have that time set aside where you are unplugged from everything including other people and to have time alone with God but let's take a minute and look at David's example and see the immense value in that time let's talk for just a sec about what David is most known for David's most known for killing a giant right David David kicked some giant booty with uh with a with a slingshot and five stones okay and David uh before he could even legally drive. And then David's life kind of goes down a very memorable path, okay? We've talked about some of his struggles. David did a couple things that were just kind of out there. But for the most part, David led a very successful life, had a very profound legacy, okay? David ruled the king of Israel for many, or ruled Israel for many years. And during that time, he, he had a lot of military victories. And also, he set Israel uh, on a course to be God's people, Okay, and if you know anything about Israelite history, they are very stubborn people. Okay, just bad leadership. Leadership goes by the wayside. They start building golden calves. You know, it don't take long for these Israelites to turn their back on God. But David stayed the course for the entire nation, for the most part, during his entire reign. As a matter of fact, with a little help from Google and a little research, I found out that King David, while he was king of Israel, went into 66 battles. And his record during those battles was 66-0. Okay? So he was pretty good, right? He had a lot of success. <clears throat> so David, at one point, he was on a rooftop, okay, and he fell into sin. He lusted after a woman who was married. He spent the night with her, and then he killed her husband in battle. That was a pretty dark moment for David. And then David had also, at one time, a little earlier in his life, before he took the throne, uh, King Saul got really jealous and wanted to kill him. And for many years, David was on the run from King Saul. He actually spent time living in the same town that Goliath was from, the giant that he killed. It's called Gath. It's in Philistia. Philistia. I don't know how you say that. But over there where those Philistines live, over yonder, he spent time there. David had a lot of dark times in his life, 
And he was able to conquer or overcome pretty much all of them. And still maintaining that godly legacy, a man after God's own heart, he's called. So how did he do it? What was his secret? Well, to begin to understand David's power and his confidence, we've got to look at a, a couple of examples of his early life. Right before David takes on Goliath, this is one of my favorite little passages in all of Scripture, he says a phrase to King Saul. Now, David goes out to where they're fighting the Philistines, okay? And the giant's out there, and nobody's going to fight him, right? Everybody's scared. David's older, bigger brothers are out there. King Saul's out there, and everybody's cowering. And David comes up, and he says, why aren't y'all fighting the giant, right? He has this incredible confidence about him. And he goes to King Saul, and King Saul says, listen, you're a shrimpy little dude, okay? You're a teenager. Come on, man. Go back to feeding your sheep. And David responds with this. David said to Saul, this is 1 Samuel 17, 34 through 37, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard. I struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. My old youth group that I was a part of had a pretty sweet t-shirt. We had a t-shirt made where there was like this lumberjack guy wearing suspenders, okay? And with his bare hand, he was uppercutting a bear, like just taking him out. And it was based off of this verse. It was really sweet. I wish I had it to show it to you, but I lost it. It was really sweet. So David, uh, David understands integrity, perhaps a concept that is, uh, for the most part, absent in our culture. And at a young age, he understood something critical for the rest of his life. And it's this, is that David's preparation in private had a direct connection to his success in public. David's preparation in private had a direct connection with his success in public. So Randy preached a couple weeks ago. Uh, he sort of couple, uh, covered David's anointing as the next king of Israel after Saul. So Samuel the prophet, he went to Jesse's house. And he's looking for the next king of Israel because God tells him out of the house of Jesse will be the next king. But he doesn't tell him which one. So Jesse goes down there and he sees King uh, uh, he's, uh, Samuel goes down there and he sees Jesse's sons. And he goes through all the outstanding sons, okay? I imagine the first ones he notices are the really big tall ones with the broad shoulders. The older one, and he takes him through the lineup of about seven sons. And he says, nope, not that one, not that one, not that one, not that one. None of them work for God. And so Samuel says to Jesse, hey, you got any other sons? And he said, yeah, I got this runt out in the back, at back 40 there. He's taking care of the sheep. Uh, that's, that's David. And perhaps at this time, it seemed like no one had confidence in David, okay? David's just a sheep watcher. He's just a shepherd. He's a shepherd boy. He's a runt. That's all David's ever going to be. He's just going to watch sheep for the rest of his life. Right there in the backyard. He's not going to go places with his life. He's not going to get a degree. <laughs> He's just David. David gets anointed as the next king of Israel, and then he assumes his throne and begins to reign on Israel, over Israel, 23 years after he's anointed king of Israel. That's a long time to prepare, isn't it? It's a long time to think about the responsibility that he, de he had. Well, David understood integrity, like I said, and his confidence in his God came from a consistent, perpetual meeting with him day after day over the course of multiple decades. 
23 years. Now, do you think, based on what he did with that bear, those 23 years that he had to prepare, do you think what he did during those years had any connection to how successful he was during his reign as king? You see, that strikes a fatal blow to American Christianity today. Okay? American Christianity today is just like your local McDonald's. They've packaged it into a fast food little box, and they send it through your window, and they send it on your way. It's something I'm, I'm staunchly against. It's called decisional evangelism. And so American Christianity, your, your pastor will sell to you that you just need to make a decision, which is true. Amen? They love decisions, but it doesn't end there. That's not the goal. That's not the result. Go into all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son. Check, and making disciples of all nations. Let's consider another example besides David. How about somebody pretty closely related to David? Jesus. It's a pretty good guy to think about, right? Jesus initiates his earthly ministry at age 30 when he gets baptized in the Jordan. We remember this. Little dove coming down, that's the Holy Spirit, right? He's ready to go. And then Jesus takes off into the wilderness for 40 days, fasting and praying before he begins his earthly ministry. Now, why on earth do we need to do that? He's Jesus. He's Jesus. If anybody should get out there and start preaching immediately, it's him, right? Not so much. I'll take it a step further with Jesus. Luke 2.52 says, that Jesus grew in wisdom, favor, and stature with God and man. Now, if you know a whole lot about the Bible, or honestly, if you just know a little bit about the Bible, if you've read about Jesus, you'll realize that the Jesus narrative has these huge holes in it, okay? He's born, we see him about two or three years old. We don't see him again until he's 12-ish. He's in the temple, you guys remember that? Mary and Joseph lose him, and then we hear nothing about him until he's 30. 18 years. What did he do for 18 years? Well, we have one verse that tells us what he did. Luke 2.52, Jesus grew in wisdom and favor and stature with God and man. Now, he could have been doing a lot of things, okay? His father was a carpenter. Perhaps he did that. He provided for his family, maybe saved some money for his ministry coming up. Okay, that may be something he did. But here's something he definitely did. Have you ever noticed that throughout the Gospels that Jesus intentionally spends quiet time with his heavenly father? Scripture kind of tells us that he was a morning person. Time and time again, we'll see that Jesus arose early before anyone else and had a time with his father. Also, have you ever noticed how Jesus was really good at quoting the Old Testament? He knew it very well, okay? Shocking revelation for you this morning, perhaps. Jesus did not come out of the womb as a baby knowing the Old Testament, okay? Not our God. That's not his humanity. He lowered himself to our status to become like us in every way. What does that mean? Well, he came out just like my kids come out, okay? He probably cried a little bit, okay? That's okay. And Jesus spent time studying and learning in the temple. He disciplined himself in this way. He spent time meditating on the Word of God day and night, just like the psalm said, over the course of just about multiple decades, 18 years. That's what develops within us, a tree planted by the water. You see, the winds of life come about, and giants pop up in our way, but our confidence remains steadfast in our relationship with God. 
I'm so glad that as a teenager, I was blessed with some dudes that shot straight with me. They really did. And so in our culture today, especially our Christian culture, fanaticism sells. Does it not? Think about that. If you like to watch uh, Christian services on the TV, you'll probably see that there's a lot of show involved. There's some jumping around, a lot of noise, okay? And all those things are okay. They really are. But we see the huge stages in the conferences, and it, it kind of tickles our American fancy again for those special effects. And as much as I love emotional services and decisions being made, when those decisions do not lead to a consistent daily walk-in with God over and over, then they wither, just like the psalm says. There's no foundation. I've been telling the teenagers lately that my own personal salvation, it didn't come at any conference or revival meeting. I went to a lot of those, and I walked up front at a lot of those, but that's not where my salvation came from. It was all very superficial. My salvation came from reading the Bible alone in my room over and over again. And I lost myself, particularly in the book of Romans. And God met me there. God met me there. You know, there's never been a time when I devoted myself to reading Scripture or to praying with God that He didn't meet me there. Never. He will always meet you there. You know, when Jesus traveled around, his people were baptized, and after they were baptized, he said, what? Follow me. And they started walking with him day in and day out. Now, a lot of us may think that Jesus was an eloquent preacher, and most people were enticed by his words, and they followed him, but that's not what Scripture tells us. As a matter of fact, Scripture tells us that the majority of the people that Jesus preached to said, man, that's a hard teaching. And they turned around, and they walked away. Walking with God question for you this morning. Do you walk with God? Do you have an intimate relationship with God? Setting aside an intentional and consistent time to meet with Him. Do you love the Word of God? Very quickly, let me tell you about the most boring chapter in the Bible, okay? It's even more boring than a life of solitude sounds. Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5, if you look it up, it's a genealogy that gives you from Adam to Noah, okay? Because Noah comes along in Genesis chapter 6. And it's got all these people who live 900 years, and they got about seven syllables in their name. If we had that thing where the kids come up and read the scripture before service, it would give you enough laughs all day for a 10-year-old to read Genesis chapter 5, okay? Because it's funny, all those syllables. But we read about these guys, and it says, so-and-so lived 900 years, and then he died. So-and-so lived 750 years, and then he died. And I'm pitching it to you this morning, and I hope you don't get offended, but most of us, that's going to be our legacy. We're going to live, and we're going to die. There's one person in the genealogy that is completely different from everybody else in the genealogy. His name's Enoch. And it says, Enoch lived 365 years, and he walked with God. And then he was no more. Eli didn't even have to die. Or Enoch didn't even have to die. What is it that, that's going to set your life apart and give you that legacy? There's only one thing. To walk with God. King David, as mighty as he is, he could have reigned. He could have won 66 battles. But if he wasn't a man after God's own heart and he hadn't have slayed a giant, we wouldn't be talking about him today. But King David walked with God. 
I have three pieces of advice for you this morning in regard to your own personal time of solitude with God, because it's good to get practical. Number one, set aside a specific time to meet with God every day and commit to doing it at the same time every day. This is, this is modeled very well in Jesus, okay? This is modeled very well in David as well. David has a specific time that the Bible kind of indicates that he would go to God, and it was every time before he went into battle. He made one miscue on that, and he didn't seek God, but every time before he went into battle. That's a pretty good time, too. But whether morning person, evening person, whatever you may be, let me tell you this. With our schedules the way that they are, you will have no chance, no chance of consistently meeting with the Lord if you don't set aside a specific time each and every day and commit to doing it at that exact time, every day. Number two, pray from the heart. Pray from the heart. It's great to have a prayer list or to pray through, to pray through that or to write out your prayers. I wrote out my prayers for a long time. That's really good. And there's also a lot of good prayer models out there. There's an Acts prayer model that we recently used at a prayer time here at Journey. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And it's different ways to pray to the Lord. And those are really helpful to get you into a prayer routine. But ultimately, this praying from the heart, man, this changed my relationship with God when I started praying from the heart. Because I was a Bible quiz winning Sunday school kid. Baptist, oh yeah, I knew my stuff. And I had these prayers. And even as I grew into teenagehood and even into adulthood, unfortunately, I kept those same scripted prayers. And it wasn't even the scripted prayer that Jesus reads for us, okay? It was, it was something even, you know, very, very superficial. And so when I began to pray from the heart, I saw transformation in my life. I really did. I began to be honest with the Lord about my struggles, okay? I began to seek Him and cry out to Him for extended periods of time. Pray from the heart. Number three, don't take popular shortcuts. Don't take the popular shortcuts. Now, it's this one that might get me in trouble. You might need to rip out some of that some of what you know about quiet time, some of what you've been taught, okay? So I'm all for devotionals in a verse a day. I love them. got the Bible app on my phone. It's cool, man. I love devotionals. Uh, his utmost for his highest, my utmost for his highest, Oswald Chambers, greatest devotional I think ever written. Well, Morning and Evening by Charles Spurgeon is a pretty good one too. But the Bible is not meant to just be read like this. It's not meant to be a two-minute verse a day. That can be a function of the Bible, sure. It's great for that. But the Bible, i found, is an all-transforming ocean of truth. And you can get lost in it. And that's okay. That's good to do. That's quality time with God. 30 minutes, maybe on the weekend, a couple hours. I'm serious. You can get lost in the Word of God. Take a book of the Bible and read through it. I would. If you are not a Christian, Gospel of John, all day. It's the most simple gospel, okay? It kind of leaves out some of the historical data and just talks about the good theological stuff about who Jesus is. If you are not a Christian, read the Gospel of John. If you are a Christian and you're really bad at doing quiet time, which I am not the greatest, 1 John. 1 John's where you need to be, man. Five chapters, it's really short. And it separates the, the sheep from the goats, man. 
First John is good stuff. Read that. Read it with your spouse. Read it with your spouse. If you do this, he will meet you there. He will meet you there. If you're not a Christian, I suggest you, uh, that you do this. And if you are a Christian, I equally suggest that you do this with as much fervor. So here I am this morning, uh, father of, of four, full-time student, full-time youth pastor in my 20s. If anybody's going full speed, fast forward, it's me. And I'm pushing this on you this morning. Slow your life down. Slow it down. And fellowship with your God. He loves you and he wants that relationship with you. You see, God's not into weekend visitations. I know all about weekend visitations. I grew up with my dad not around. Okay? Every other weekend, it's time to go. Unfortunately, that's not going to transform your life whatsoever. God's not into weekend visitations. God wants to walk with you day in and day out because he loves you dearly and he wants the best for you. He's not into joint custody, right? So I'll give you this. If you, like David, make yourself a person after God's own heart, day in and day out, if you devote yourself to his word and to prayer, you'll find that he's your treasure. Your treasure. You know, when I was growing up, people would tell me, it doesn't matter if you want to do it. Just read your Bible and just pray. And so I started advising people that. I said, you know what? It doesn't matter if you want to do it. Just commit yourself to doing it and do it. And I don't advise people to do that anymore. Because that may be the case sometimes. It is a dutiful obedience at times. But let me tell you something. It shouldn't take you long of reading your Bible to realize that this is something that I don't want to do and I have to do it. No, that's not how it is. This is something that is great. This is something that is transforming. This is something that I need. This is living water for my soul. And he becomes your treasure. My favorite illustration of, of God in the Bible is the one Jesus told. It's like a man walking through a field and he stumbles upon the treasure. So what does he do? Well, in his great joy, he goes off and he sells all that he has so that he can buy that field. In joy, he sells all that he has so that he can buy that field. In joy, we have a quiet time with the Lord because he is so good to us and he meets us there. Amen? Amen. Regardless of whether you end up going 66 and 0 in your battles or whether you go 0 and 66, in your battles. He will still be with you. He's still there and he is still satisfied. He satisfies like none other. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father God, you are so good to us. Lord Jesus, we know that if we are obedient to you, that you honor obedience, God. You look down on us and you see our hearts inclined towards wanting to follow you and know you, God, and you will meet us there. Lord Jesus, I pray that this morning, as we come together, that we see our need for you. Oh, God, that a verse a day or a, or a proverb or a, 
or a devotional guide, while it is good, it's, God, we need to immerse ourselves in you and who you are. God, you've given us such a wonderful gift in your word. God, you've given us such a wonderful gift that you've given us free access to you in prayer that we can come to you at any time with anything that we're dealing with and know that you love us, that you will listen, and that, God, you speak back. God, I pray this morning that as people perhaps even feel conviction about such an easy part of your life to overlook and neglect, God, I pray that you would well up in them a spring of joy, a spring of fire for knowing you intimately, for walking with you, for looking at the big picture, God, at the scope of their life, and know that all of this will fade away. But what remains is their walk with God, their relationship with you, Father. Father, I pray that this morning that they will make commitments to do so. God, we got a new year coming up. God, I know that there are some women out there who want a husband that will just read the Bible with them, that will just pray with them. God, I know there's some men out there who are just so wayward. But God, what will have an influence on them is a woman who prays, who reads their Bible, who is faithful to you, God. I know some students out there, God, that no one else is having a quiet time with God. No one else reads their Bible. God, I pray that you would well up in them a desire to be different, a desire to be set apart by walking with you. Jesus, we love you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.